0: Welcome to This Is My Story with Steve Hayes. I am here today with Chris Sanders. Chris is uh, is just an all-around cool guy. He's been uh, coming to church with us for, golly, how long, Chris?
1: Probably about a year.
0: Probably about a year. year you up. guys moved from what, Seattle? Yep. Um, we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but uh, that's cool, man. We're glad to glad to have you glad to have you here on the podcast hope it's uh something that helps you out as well and helps a lot of you folks who are listening out you know this is just a podcast where we get people just like you and me to come in and share their story because we think god works through everybody's story and um, so i'm excited about hearing chris's story chris you recently wrote a book. Yes tell me the title again
1: mind over matter
0: mind over matter it's available um amazon yeah
1: amazon you can pick it up
0: cool i'll be sure and put the details of that and a link to it in the show notes so y'all help a brother out and go get chris's book i'm sure it'll be really good for uh good information for you and we'll talk about that in a little bit too but Let's start with um, Seattle. That's a long move from Seattle to, of course, Canada, Texas. uh, First of all, what's your favorite thing about Seattle? Uh,
1: Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're here in Texas. Um, No, the the economy. There were so many opportunities. And uh, all jokes aside, there really is just any way you want to go, you can go in that direction. There's so much opportunity. So you can be anything you want to be yeah it's not limited
0: gotcha gotcha i uh we went on our honeymoon to Seattle yeah like twenty six years ago, and um we loved it, you know, just from a distance, yeah. we really enjoyed it. It was a cool place to be and cool place to see and all that good stuff and um I always liked going to the pier you know? yeah that was that was awesome.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. And you know, um, any season, there's something to do no matter what you're into. So you can go to the water and you can, uh, paddleboard, you can go hiking. If you drive 20 minutes opposite direction, you can see snow caps. So there's so much to do. Yeah. You never get area. bored.
0: Beautiful area. And we, we ended up taking a little boat, the Victoria clipper yep. over to Victoria, British Columbia, man, gorgeous area. So, yeah.
1: Very beautiful.
0: Uh, and we got to see one one thing that's kind of a local thing, I guess. A lot of tourists didn't know about it, but uh, the troll under the
1: bridge. Yeah, the troll under the bridge. Yeah. Yes. So
0: that was really cool.
1: Yep. Uh, Depend on what time of the year you go up there, it's uh, family friendly. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: You might run into some uh, trouble, yeah. some other trolls under yeah, the bridge. Yeah, there, <laughs> there's
1: a naked bike ride that takes place there. Oh, uh, nice. In the summer, so they well, don't do it in the winter, obviously, but. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I'll think about signing up for that next year. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about Chris Sanders, man. What's your, what's your story kind of, where'd you grow up? What happened after, you know, high school and all that stuff? Give us, give us the rundown. So
1: I, uh, had the typical American family, right? (laughs) Mom and dad in the household. Um, and, uh, We just grew up in the country on five acres you know kids just went out and played till dark you know the typical story um and then uh i have one older sister we're three years apart so we were very close um and over the years i just became the trouble kid right you know so getting in trouble all the time my mom still tells my wife to this day i knew one of Chris's teachers every year, they knew me by my first name, you know? (laughs) That's how much she was getting called up there. Um, But I just always felt like I was living in my sister's shadow looking back on it now, right? Back then I think I was just searching for that attention but I felt like she got the straight A's, whatever, and they were always like, why can't you be like your sister? So I think over the years I was just searching for that attention in the wrong way, just acting out. Um, and I definitely got it, right? I had a reputation, uh, not for being disrespectful, just a class clown. Right. Um, it wasn't until puberty started kicking in that the disrespectfulness started taking a toll, right? Um, my dad around that time, he was still in the home, but he was doing his own thing. He, uh, he joined a biker gang, so he was always gone or on the road, you know, doing whatever he had to do for those guys. Um, so there was less of that male presence to kind of keep me in order. Right. Yeah. And so, um, then high school came around, you know, um, parties and all that, that good stuff, right. You know, you fall in with the wrong crowd and I was, I was always athletically fit, but I never had a care to be a part of that organization and do what they told me. So I, um, I was a very fast runner. Um, okay yeah so i would go to track and be the only white guy out there <laughs> but um they i would always compete and then cross country you had to be in the top six to be able to compete for the school at, okay. at the meets and um i would always finish somewhere in the top six at our school meet right. and then um i would never show up to the uh community meet <laughs> so oh, they would always be one guy short and the coach asked me one day "Who's that? Like, why do you even come anymore I was like, I just like running, you know? So they started calling me Forrest Gump, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. So, you know, I kind of went through that phase of partying and, um, and it was really bad. You know, at that time I was doing things, adults were doing like hard drugs or whatever, you know? Um, and then, uh, it was to the point where sometimes we would show up to school on a Friday after a Thursday night and like teachers were like, you can't show up like this. You know, you smell like alcohol stuff. And, my dad was out of the home at that time, you know, they went through a divorce and um, you know, my mom was just trying to stay afloat financially. And I was just that rebel child that I didn't want to be home because they had broke up so I could see her depressed. And I was just kind of going off on my own, you know, trying to sulk my wounds if you can. Um, And then I had a really good GPA in 11th grade, uh, I had a 3.5 you know they call you in to the yeah. office tell you these are your options and they're like man you can probably go to almost every university and the funny thing is there was an underclassman with the same exact name he was just oh, a black wow. kid right so okay. I was like I think you have the wrong Chris Sanders because he was a straight-a student okay. and you know I was a troublemaker so I was like you got the wrong guy you know <laughs> she was like no this is your birthday and so um, you know, that was a shocker, but by the time I graduated went from a three point five to two point nine. Okay. You know, it dropped significantly. Yeah. And um you know, and they kicked me out of school for half the day because we got okay. caught skipping so much. They even pulled me in the office and said, you know, if you skip one more time, you're done. Wow. And he came back after lunch to see if we were in our class and we we had been gone by thirty minutes at that point. Wow we were already in another city so um yeah they kicked us out we couldn't come back after lunch anymore and you know so that took away kind of college for me i yeah. kind of sealed that fate okay. um and where i'm from you know it's kind of the factory style um we have a company called Albemarle where are you from Orangeburg South Carolina Orangeburg South Carolina yeah wow yeah okay. and so it's one of the biggest counties in South Carolina but there's nothing for the youth. And that's probably why I fell into partying, right? We, we had a bowling alley, kind of a backstory, right? We had a bowling alley, but that bowling alley has a history in the civil rights era. There was a, we have a historical black college in our town, which Mm -hmm. draws most of the community. Um, but in the civil rights era, four of those students went to the bowling alley and got lynched. So yeah, so it was, you know, as a kid, you didn't go around there. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just the history has never went back to anything good. So, uh, they closed down the movie theater when I was like 12, right before you start taking girls on dates. Right. So, right. um, there was nothing in that town to keep the youth away from the parties. Nothing but trouble. Yep. And then you got backwoods. So yep. you just have bonfires and beers. Yeah. So, um,
0: so you, you felt like your college opportunities were shot yeah, because of some of the choices you made and <clears throat> all that. So what, what was next for you? Like, what does a kid like that do?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, in that town, people live and die in blue collar. Right. So, um, there's a, like I was telling you earlier, there's a plant that makes Tylenol and all these other industrial things that aren't good. Right. So, right. um, a lot of people start there because by the time you're there five years you can be making fifty dollars an hour, and in okay. the backwoods, right you know that's that's good money, so people will stay there for twenty years and retire right. you know and uh but see what they don't tell you is half the people that retire end up with cancer when you leave there, they have their own car wash, right you can't drive your car on the road without going through the car wash because wow. of the chemicals, so that's how bad that place is that's crazy, yeah, so um, I was like there's no way I'm all work in that factory, you know, my uncle worked there. So, um, there was just, you couldn't pay me enough. Right. Yeah. And so I went to work at a food warehouse, okay. you know, a distribution center. And, um, that was really good paying money. And I worked in the freezer, you know, where it's like below 10 degrees. So mm-hmm. when I got out, I couldn't talk, right. I couldn't move <laughs> my lips. Um, but they just worked you to death. And so I tried the community college route while I was working there, but, uh, me and my mom shared a car at the time, so she would work day shift and I would drop her off at work at 5am Okay, and I would go to college all day, Mm -hmm. like from 8am until 4pm. I would pick her up, take her home and then drive an hour away to work and have the car all night. Mm -hmm. And... The, the way those distribution centers are set up, you don't get off until the orders are done. Right. So I was getting off at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., going home, taking my mom to work, and, you know, on lunches or whatever, I was doing homework. So it was just not a good mm-hmm. lifestyle. Yeah. And it lasted probably about three or four months. And I went to a school counselor who said something's got to change. Mm-hmm. And just my luck, she dropped the class in the middle of the day. So I still had to be there all day, you know? And so I dropped another one and then it was down to one class. So it wasn't even worth it. So I dropped out completely. Um, and when I was, um, maybe a month after I'd quit school and it was right around December. Right. And, um, then January rolls around, uh, you know New Year's Eve we're all partying, having fun, and I was always trying to be their protector of all my friends, so I would drive, I would take the risk and uh that night, the risk backfired, right you know i went I went to a house party and then I left, and there was a car of like twenty of us, right something you should not do um but somewhere I took a detour and I yeah. went through town like maybe I was ready to go home, whatever um. And then I got pulled over in town, and you know it it ensued from there. So they arrested me. They arrested my girlfriend at the time. The guy in the back seat, they let him go, and his mom had to pick him up. We were all eighteen, so it was it was all bad. Then, um, lo and behold, my girlfriend at the time she had connections. Her mom used to work for the city, so she knew the judge, and I was like, "Oh, we." you know, we're in the wind, we're getting off with this, right? Right. Which was my mindset every time I got in trouble, Mm -hmm. I was pretty lucky. Um, At 15 or 16, I got caught with alcohol underage as well. And it was a slap on the wrist, right? We went to court, they they issued a ticket, they made us do like this alcohol is bad class, right? You know, and so I'd already had a prior conviction for alcohol underage. So when I went to court, hers went well, and she got caught with marijuana, right? So right. I was like, if hers went well, mine's gonna be fine. He got all fine, and then here I am, and the judge just gives it to me. In front, yeah, in front of like 30 people, he embarrassed me. He was like, you're, you're a waste of life. Like, what are you doing with your life, you mm. know? And I had nothing to say, and he was like, you must not care i was like it's not that i don't care but i mean what can i say that you just berated me in front of 30 people you know you Mm -hmm. broke me down to nothing and uh he was like at this time i was in the future soldier program but i backed out i told him you know i don't want to go i don't want to leave my friends and uh he said i'll just put you in jail for two weeks so you can figure it out and i was like what (laughs) you know for for alcohol and um then my mom got up and cried and, you know, she kind of saved me that day. She was like, you know, this is all I have left. My daughter's gone doing her life. My husband and I aren't together. Like, this is all I have left. Don't take my baby. And, um, and then, yeah, so he listened to her and said, you're lucky you have a good mom. He was like, because I would have threw the book at you. I really don't care. Mm-hmm. And so that was an eye opener. So I went to a future soldier program and I told him, look, I want to come back in and they were like, "Well, you kind of screwed yourself." And mm-hmm. I was like, "Come on." And um so they have a way you can still get in if they feel you're serious, but it's it's way harder on you. And so, you know, I had to write an essay basically saying, you know, how I wanted to change my life, whatever. Um and a master sergeant, I had to have a call with him. And phone calls are kind of like texting. You never see how personal you are, or whatever. Right. So I get up there. I have the phone call with him. He, um, and the whole time, right. It's just like, basically, I'm sorry. I got caught. excuses and he called me out on it. Right. Right. Um, towards the end of the phone call, he was like, look, your time's up. All I'm hearing is that you're sorry. You got caught. He was like, I don't think you'll ever change. You Mm. know, he was like, Mm. so he was like, I don't think I'm gonna let you in. He was like, but before I made that decision, he was like, is there anything else you want to say? And this is like the first time in my life I had to dig deep, you know, I really had to, you know, find my self-worth because at that time I didn't think I was worth anything, right? Which it showed in my actions. And, um, so I just told him, you know, everybody makes mistakes. He was like, you know, but there's two people in this world. There's people who are going to lay down and die by those mistakes and it will shape the rest of your life. I was like, oh, there's people who's going to pick up and move forward. And I told him, well, I'm the latter of that. So, you know, with or without you guys, I'm going to move forward. Mm. I was like, I would like to do it with the Army. I was like, I think you guys be good for me. I think I could turn out and be better for you guys. I was like, but, you know, there's other options. You're not my only route to success. Mm. And the recruiter in the background is like, what are you doing? You know? Cause mm. he's so ingrained with like respect for a higher ranking. And mm. I'm just like telling this guy, like, I really don't care. You can seal, you can think you'll seal my fate, but you won't. Mm. Right. So he hangs up and this was Valentine's day in 2011. And so I go out to eat with that girlfriend at the time and I get a phone call at dinner and he's like, pack your bag, son, you got your one way ticket to hell. Right. So I was right. like, I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you're leaving tomorrow morning, you know, which is, dang. it's it's not Vietnam era anymore, right? Right. It takes like two, three weeks, two months, but I think that was God's way of getting me out of there because who knows? In two weeks, I might've changed my mind.
0: So, uh, got home. Time out there for just a second. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been through a lot of stuff up to that point and have been... Um, like not much of it has been good or confidence building. No, you know, dad's not not around. Um, sounds like mom's hanging by a pretty thin thread. Yeah, and you know you're you're not making the best choices. And anytime you you do get caught, and you know it's like further tear down of who you are. You're just getting broken down by everybody you run into. Um. like where did that what were you thinking at this point that gave you any kind of confidence whatsoever for the future
1: yeah Um. probably none to be honest yeah. you know like I I knew I was going down the wrong road but I didn't care enough to stop it right
0: so did you just think like when the army came along did you just think hey man I got nothing to lose
1: well a lot of my family have been in it right grandfathers and my dad served in the national guard and stuff like that so um i w- i'd always wanted a way out of that town and you know when you're a little kid and you see the screen it's like you want to see the world right. right how they pitch it to you that's what i thought it would be okay so you know i kind of i wanted something that would garner me self-respect right right and so it was kind of a selfish move right because okay. at that time you know, still to this day, everybody's volunteers, right? Yep. But it's not, you can tell anybody what you want, right? You're out there, to serve your country, and you're doing that. So I don't want to discredit that. But at the same time, it's volunteer. So you're doing it for whatever selfish motive, yeah, right? You know, whether you want to, you know, you get happy about helping people. So you join or whatever it is, right? It's right. a selfish motive. So, yeah.
0: So you jump in there. Yeah. The very next day, you barely have time to even pack anything or whatever. Yeah. You just, you, you go do your thing. How long did you serve for? Four years. Four years? Yeah. Did you go all over the place?
1: Uh, no, not really. I got pretty lucky, actually, because I'm, um, so I went to two different places, right, after basic training. So I went to Fort Benning, Georgia for basic training. Okay. And then uh, that was about three months and some change. Okay. And then, I got stationed in Fort Lewis, Washington. So beautiful okay. state. That's yeah. how I ended up in Seattle. And okay. then, um, I'm I'm one of those guys. I always have to have a change, or I get complacent. Like I've I've never really felt happy or content yeah. when it is redundant.
0: You get itchy. Yeah,
1: exactly. And mm-hmm. so, uh, perfect timing. Six months there, and okay. they tell me you're going to war. So wow. yeah. So what year was this? This was in. Well, I got there in 2011 in July because I got the basic in February. So, well, I got there in March, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it was very fast-paced military career, right? They were just throwing it at us. But you got to understand how they do it. Where you get stationed, if a lot of you go there, you're going to war because that's what they need to do. You have to have a certain amount of numbers before you can send a unit to war gotcha yeah so they just send all the new guys to fill those spots
0: so where'd you go
1: yeah so i went to i went to fort Lewis, washington and i was there for six months and then we went to afghanistan we went to rc south so the southern border um uh there's a desert in between us and pakistan so you know, the mountains and everywhere up north and to the east wow. and west, they get it pretty bad, but we get it way worse because during fighting season, which is a summer, spring yeah. to about September, everybody comes from Pakistan, fights us, makes the money, and goes home during the winter. Gotcha. And so we get the influx and the exfil of those guys, and we got to fight them the whole way through.
0: Let me ask you a question. Any... At this point in your life, any sort of faith connection to God at all?
1: Yeah. So I okay. grew up in a church, you know, okay. typical Southern Baptist. My grandparents were die yeah. die hard, right? And so um, along that way, during my transition to you know not such a holy kid, yeah, yeah, um, you know, there would be signs. And I even needed a summer job one time and my friend's dad hired me. He worked at the school as a carpenter. He worked at their career. He would okay. teach you how to frame houses. Um, and he needed a guy to work with him. And so every day I went with this guy who would talk to me about God every morning. Oh, wow. Whether you know I was hungover or whatever, he would talk to me about God. And so I started listening naturally. And um, uh, he told me a story where he was just the worst of the worst, mm-hmm. like really bad, you know, super racist guy. Back in the day, you know, he said he used to just find people to fight, you uh-huh. know, just cause he hated the color of their skin. So um, he was a really messed up guy and, you know, he was mean to his wife. He was on his road to be a pro baseball player and it kinda, once he blew out his knee, it was kinda shot from there. So he was mad at the world. And she just told him one day, I will leave you if you don't come to church with me. And so um, he went to church with her and there was a guest pastor speaking because the real pastor had to go in the hospital or something like that. And he said, this guy was in the middle of preaching and he's in the back holding his baby. He was like, I'm just checking a box for my yeah. wife. And the guy looks back at moves everybody out the way just says you go over here you go over here kind of like moses split the sea right he split the sea of all the congregation and pointed at him and said you and he was like (laughs) you know he's a big six foot five guy you know so he's not scared of much but he was like that scared me he was like because this guy called me out so he held his newborn baby in front of him and act like he didn't hear him he was like okay you want to play tough he was like man god's coming to get you And he walked all the way through the church to the very back pew and grabbed the baby from him. And and this guy was like, I was just stuck. I didn't know what to do. You know, I'm not going to hit a pastor, right? So he laid the baby down on the pew and said, God wants me to anoint you. He was like, you have, God has a vision for you is what he said. And then he said, so you're coming with me. Carried him to the front and saved him right there. Wow. And so for two weeks, he just read the Bible. He was like, I didn't leave my house. We had bills piling up. I was just like, you know, deep in the word and I couldn't leave Um, and it changed him. But where that story struck a nerve is he was worse than me in my eyes because I hated racist people, you know what I mean? So um, I was just like, wow, you know, if God's got something for you, he's gotta have it for me. And, And he invited me to church and um, I did go to church, youth church when I was 14 a lot. And then some older kids that we looked up to, they ended up having premarital sex and went to their youth pastor, like, you know, asked him what we should do to ask for forgiveness, whatever. And, um, they put them up in front of everybody. On, them out. Yep. Yeah. On Sunday, it was like, that's what you should not do. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of turned me off. And that's where I kind of left church. Wow. And then, um, but that same church is where he went. So he got me to go back and I had just left a party that Saturday. I had only been to bed like two hours, you know, and he called me that morning, he said, are you coming? I was like, I don't think I'll make it. He was like, you're coming. (laughs) And I was like, oh man, you know, so I show up and you know, it was one of those sermons where they just talk to you and you feel like there is directed only at you. Mm -hmm. So it was really good. And then, um, in the military, you know, as a young kid, no parental guidance, you're getting wild, you know, you're doing the same things. Um, and I was on a plane ride. This is the plane ride right before I went to war. So I came home for that Christmas and we left that April. Um, and on my ride back, I was just tired. I always sleep on planes. I don't like talking to anybody. So, um, I'm. In the middle of the plane, a lady asked me, she was like, do you want to go sit up in first class? And I said, yeah, sure. So, she moves me. I sit next to this older gentleman. He's probably in his 60s. Yeah. He sees my uniform and sees my patches and starts talking to me. I was like, oh, here we go. It's going to be a long plane ride, you know? <laughs> um, And he starts telling me. And what made me listen, I had a second ID patch. That's mm-hmm. who I was with. And he was like, I was the general that got you guys the strikers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? You know, so he tells me that whole backstory of how he worked at the Pentagon, whatever. Um, but, you know, middle of the conversation, it switches to God. And mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, oh, here we go, you know. And, um, but it was a really good message. And I ended up getting the guy's info. And he said, ask me any questions anytime you need to or if you just need to talk right and uh and so i did i kept in touch with him for a long time any questions i had i would ask him because i trusted him and then um you know during war you kind of get uh you get lost right i remember i remember the day that i'll I'll always regret this day my aunt wrote me and i was like three months in and this is after i have seen gunfights i've seen bodies like all this stuff all the bad stuff she wrote me and said i pray for you every day and i told her and i get a little emotional talking about this but i told her no need you know there's no god in this place you know and so that kind of breaks my heart because i was always the guy that never never wanted to be blasphemous or never wanted to shoot down god i always took up for him because in the military you get a lot of that a lot of atheists so I uh, always took up for him but I told her that because all I could see was bad at that point you know mm-hmm. and um <coughs> but I you know at the same time that was all that was the only person I could talk to right yeah because in the infantry you have to walk on the eggshells right because your job is to kill or be killed right and so your your job is to do the dirty work, defend the country, all that stuff. so if you go to people and you're like, "I'm having second thoughts or "I'm worried about what we're doing over here, stuff like that," you get red flagged, and they're like, "Can you handle your job mentally?" Mm-hmm. you know, and they put you under these tests and all that stuff, so you know, at the same time saying, "I don't believe in him, that's the only person I'm talking to, so it was a very very interesting time it's like this push and pull of the devil and so it was it was just interesting yeah yeah
0: so you you come back from war yeah i'm assuming how long were you over there yeah nine months nine months so you come back did you did you have a hard time sort of re-entering the atmosphere and kind of coming back to
1: yeah yeah and yeah it's very you feel like you can't connect with people right because when i got over there um i was having a hard time adjusting right i missed home like all that stuff i was worried every day like oh are we gonna die you know it was never good thoughts and an older gentleman because i was the youngest one in my platoon right i was like everybody's younger brother I was only 19 at the time we stepped foot in Afghanistan. All these other guys, the youngest guy closest to me was 23. Mm. So like, these are what you would consider grown men. And here's this old 19 year old punk, you know? Mm. Um, And so I asked him, I was like, are you worried about dying? He said, no. And I said, what? I was like, you got a wife and kid. And he told me, when I stepped foot on a plane, I already consider myself dead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you're a negative thinker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he was like, no, hear me out. He was like, I already consider myself dead. So when I go out there to do the mission, I'm focused on the mission. I'm not focused on making it back. Mm. He was like, because then you won't. He was like, but if I focus on the mission, do my job and keep my eyes out on everything else and am not in my head, I have a chance of making it back. Mm. He was like, and if I make it back, then I cheated death. And I was like, wow. And so it only took about two more days before I didn't care anymore. Mm. You know, I was just young, wild and free. Right. You yes. know, I was just doing the job. And so, um, we were over there for a while and and then you know getting back everything forces you to change over there right? right you know your mindset we we all are these you know we have this natural instinct and we're so civilized these days that that's suppressed mm. and so when you get over there your natural instincts take over so when you get back and everybody says you're a weirdo because you like you know look over your shoulder when people get close or you're always watching your back that's a natural instinct you know when we were living in caves right you watch your back all the time Mm -hmm. you know it was always dangerous so um when you get back there's nothing forcing you to change back and so that was the hardest part for me is to you know and um I've,
0: i've had a lot of my friends who who have served who told me that same thing like I Can't go in a crowd anymore without, like, I sit in the top corner section. I make sure that I have eyes on everybody in the room. Yeah. And it's not an enjoyable experience for me because I'm on the edge the whole time, you know, because that's just how you learn to think. Yeah. And so it sounds like you experienced some of that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's a great thing too because I notice a lot of weird stuff when I'm yeah. out in public. I'll say this guy isn't acting normal. Right. You know, or I'll say let's get out of here or you know, in Seattle there's some weirdos out there. So yeah. we're walking around with our kids at Pike Place Market and I see this guy getting really close to my daughter, I'm like, Hey, you need to back up. Yeah. You know, it's not that type of party guy, you right. know. Right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, you notice stuff yeah. and you're always in protective mode, which you know, I'm sure for all the wives out there, they want that and their husband, you know, a sure. protector. So, you know, Jamie says that often, you know, I'm not the tallest guy she's ever been with, but yeah. she feels safe with me because I always have a plan. You're aware. Yeah.
0: And alert. Yeah. So, um, where did, where did, it seems like to me, just watching you kind of from the outside looking in, it seems like to me that you've kind of gone through almost like an awakening. Yeah. In your life. Yeah. And pretty recently. Yeah. You know, um, when, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And what that's like. And then, you know, what, what role has your walk with God played in that?
1: Yeah. So, um, when we decided we wanted to move here, it's because you know Seattle and the school system was getting very indoctrinated with uh, liberalism, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. So we knew we wanted to get back to our roots. I'm from South Carolina, she's from Texas originally, so we wanted to get back to where family and God is everything. So um, when we moved down here, I have a son outside of Wedlock, right? So I had a son before I met her, we're a blended family. And, uh, you know, I had to leave him behind, which destroyed me. Right. So, yeah. And just real
0: quick for everybody listening, you're also an interracial family.
1: Yes. Yes. Which is also, it's had its challenges, I mean, you know, with outsiders. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So, you know, we're a blended family. She had a daughter. I had a son. They were a year apart. Mm-hmm. So it was a perfect scenario when we got together. Um, and I had never been without Carson, my son, except for two weeks, like when he was six, seven months because of the military. So I'd always fought to be in his life, all that stuff. And then I had 50, 50 custody and then it turned into more of a 70, 30 deal. So when we moved, I was sure he was going to come with us because we were the one taking him to school, raising him. You know, and I had to leave him behind, mm-hmm. so that that tore me apart, mm-hmm. so that was that was I think God knocking me down one notch right there, right, mm-hmm. taking my son away from me, something I cared deeply about, and then we got here, and he was able to come a month later, okay. but I still had to fight in court, you know that was just a pre trial um agreement i still had to go to custody court so this whole time we're going broke left and right um fast and all wasn't paying the bills anymore um i don't know if i should say their name but (laughs) they weren't paying the bills anymore and there was a a discrepancy in what they told me moving down here i was supposed to be able to keep my pay but when i got my first paycheck there was it was nothing it was pennies on the dollar. So I had all these lawyer fees. I was like $30,000. I had, you know, I didn't have a job at the time because I left fast and all and I started the painting company, but I didn't know anybody in town. So who's going to hire me. Right. And then, you know, everything was falling apart. And so one day when everybody left, the kids went to school, Jamie went to work. I just went outside. It was like, a beautiful like springtime day i went outside and just fell to my knees in the dirt and just started like crying and weeping you know with my hands up i said okay god you know i've tried it my way i've always went wrong you know somehow you get me back to the path and i that fire burns out and i leave again so i said i'll do it your way and after that i started reading the bible um let me see. I started reading the Bible and you know the court thing was happening, so I would have rough days and whatever, but I still tried to keep the faith and said, you know, I know you have a plan. Mm-hmm. And uh a guy I served in the military with lives here, you know, yeah. what a small world, right? So um I find that out and they have a rental property mm-hmm. and he said, Someone just moved out. Would you want the job to right. make make ready? I said, yeah, I'll take anything. So I'm working on this and it was during that ice storm that February. Oh Yeah. Yeah, So I'm going out every day, working on this property and, um, I'm every day I'm praying, I'm listening to worship music, you know, I'm doing that whole thing. And, um, you know, at nights it gets lonely in there because I was the, only one in my company at that time. So, you know, I'm working till two or three in the morning just trying to get this ready for them so they'll be happy with me. Right. And um, when I start, I always take a deposit on jobs, you know, cause okay. customers say, yeah, I'm ready. And then you put them on the schedule and you get there and they've already had another painter do it. And now gotcha. you don't have work. So um, they paid a deposit, but there was an issue at the bank between our banks. And so I wasn't getting the money and Jamie was worried. And I said, but I got to start the job. You know, they got someone that needs to move in. So um, I said, just keep your faith, you know, let God handle it. So my last paycheck from Fastenal was like three, there was like $354 left after we paid all our bills. Well, if you calculate what that paycheck was, ties were 350 hmm. right? So it's like, ah, you know, I got to start this job, but we paid our ties, and I told her, and she was like really worried that leaves $4, you know? <laughs> and so she was really worried about that. And, but I told her, don't worry, you know, God's got us. And so I went to Home Depot, opened up a credit card and bought like the supplies I needed at the time. And then I start doing the job and a day later, I need more supplies. So I used one of our personal credit cards and then by the third day or by the the night of the second day i pray to god i'm like you know i have my faith in you but times are getting tough yeah. but i know you'll see us through it i wake up in the morning the money deposited mm. right that that still gives me chills because then i i tell god thank you i said i don't need anything else just thank you by noon of that day three people called for jobs wow yeah and so, and then by the end of that job, I prayed to God. I said, if This is what you truly want me to do. You know, show me a sign. Yeah. And I still, what, had a, a week or two left at Fast and All, right? So um, I say, You know, show me a sign. Within 30 minutes, a pastor from a new church in town calls me. I was like, I want you to paint the, the stained glass cross in our church and all the little inner workings that's holding in the glass as well. I said, okay. And I said, how'd you find me? He was like, I just prayed to God that I need a painter. And he said, Google it. (laughs) 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 That was his running joke. He was like, God always tells me to Google things. (laughs) So, um, and I was the number one painter, which, you know, if you think back to the story, I was only here for two months. Yeah. And I switched my Google account, so how am I the number one painter? Um, But anyways, he found me, and I get there. And it was the the least paying, most fulfilling job I've had as a painter still to this day. That's awesome. Um, Because I didn't want to charge him. I said, "Just, just pay for the materials. You know, I feel like God sent me here for a reason. Right. And he said, no, make your money, you know. And so I was still... I was still unsure about what to charge this guy, right? Because I felt like I was doing God wrong. Right. So I just charged him seven hundred and fifty dollars, and ended up taking two weeks because I had to do it with a hand brush. Mm. You know, I couldn't do anything else. Um, so I had to strip all the metal and then paint it. And the whole time there, right, I'm in a church, so I'm only listening to worship music. Mm-hmm. And every day there was this older gentleman who came in to talk to me. After he unlocked the church, his name was Jeffrey Watson. He's a great guy, right? And so he he was just taught to me, and he was always so happy. Never never a frown on his face, always smiling. And, you know, that's no exaggeration, right? If you right. talk to anybody who knows him, they will say the same thing. So um, he's just talking to me about God every day and saying, you know, you have a blessing coming your way. You just mm-hmm. got to stay on the path because mm-hmm. you can't get the present if you – if you leave the road of faith, you know? And so, so I took that to heart. And then, you know, those other jobs for, you know, came into fruition. They signed with me and every job I went to after that, I would talk to them about God. Mm. And, um, you know, there's an influx of Dallas people come in here. So a lot of them are new. So I would invite them to this church and I'd only been going here, you know, two months at the time. But, It was just, you know, a lot of those customers are repeat customers now, which you don't find a lot in painting, right? You get a job and they move on. But, you know, I've had some customers come back and say, you know, I need my cabinets done or I need this just because they were like, you know, it's nice to see someone so involved yeah, or put God at the center of their business. You don't see that a lot. So, um, you know, and it was, it was just interesting, you know.
0: Yeah, so the, the theme in your life, it, it seems to me, and in a lot of these stories that you're telling about what has happened in your world, is that, like like so many other people, everything gets kind of stripped down to the bare minimum. Yeah. And, and it's only them when we can really see God clearly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it seems like that's happened to you. Yeah. Several times
1: and it's funny you say that because that's what I told my wife right mm-hmm. because she grew up in a church as well and we both strayed from the path and we started <coughs> getting back on at the same time yeah. um, but I told her that I was like it's funny how when you hit rock bottom mm-hmm. and the finances aren't there your most mm-hmm. valuable uh, mm-hmm. not possessions but you know whatever you hold dearly to your heart isn't there like when my son wasn't there when our marriage was on the fringes right we were talking about divorce and stuff like that. When you look around and it's only you at the bottom and you look up and the only thing you can see is God because you can't look down anymore. You've already hit Uh, the bottom. And so when you look up and there's only God, that's when you feel his true power when he pulls you out of the pit.
0: And sometimes that's what it takes for stubborn personalities like you and me, you know, like we're going to do it our way if we can. And sometimes the only way, to get us out of that is to let us get to the bottom yeah and you
1: know? and to expound on that i don't even think he lets you get to the bottom mm. i think as you're falling into the pit he's reaching out trying Close to grab out. you That's and he right. slows you down right so you don't yeah. hit so hard that you can't recover because you think back to the yeah. the guy that i worked for that tried to get me on church you yeah, think back to so the random chances. guy on the plane you know and yeah. so you get so many chances until he's like, "Okay, now I have to let go," yep. for you to feel the effects.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's not God putting all that on you; it's your own choices. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, sometimes it just takes us getting there. Yeah. To to finally look up and and grab hold of his of his hand, you know.
1: Yeah. well it's it's, it's funny too because you talk to these people who don't believe in God. Mm-hmm. and then something bad happens in my life. There's this guy who always comments on my Facebook stuff, and, you know, I don't block him as a friend because mm-hmm. I tried a nice approach as a Christian because he went to the same church I did, so he has a um, a bad view on God and the church, but mm-hmm. always tell him, you know, God loves you, and so do I, so, you know, I'm not going to judge you just like he wouldn't type stuff, but he always posts this negative stuff mm-hmm. and says God isn't real, you know, it's just... tool to manipulate us right but then when bad things happen and and i hate to say this but i don't know who it was but a young kid in his family i assume got cancer right and Mm -hmm. passed away Mm -hmm. so very sad situation because he brings that up when he talks to me he was like if there is a god why would this happen right Mm -hmm. but then you see his post and he was like curse god curse Mm -hmm. this and i'm like Why is it that the people who don't believe in God, when everything bad is happening, they don't blame themselves? They They always blame blame God. God. And I'm like, I thought he wasn't real, according to you. Yeah. You know, and so us as humans, we never take ownership of our actions, just like I did when I was younger, right? I blamed it on my situation of how I was acting out, stuff like that. So is
0: that, is that message? And then we'll close with this because we got, we got a lot of audio here but man it's been awesome yeah. thank you so much for being real with it but um does all that tie into your book yeah that kind of the basic message yeah book? so
1: um after the military i went to college which you know even people in the military leadership was like what are you doing when you get out and i said college and some of them laughed they were like yeah. no way you know and um but i excelled in college i got honor society i won awards in college that nobody in that college's history won right yeah, so I, yeah and so um i found my worth in there but it started in the military right i found that resilient mindset and so uh the book is very short because i feel like a lot of books have fillers in them yeah but in this book you know it's a book you could read in a week and start changing your life instead of waiting a month and losing the momentum okay. and so it just teaches you how to have a stronger mindset and believe in yourself but you know the very last chapter is you can't do any of this without god. Mm. and so you really you need god at the center of your life, but you also need to know your self worth.
0: yeah, so i want to <laughs> dig into that just a little bit because you know <clears throat> i'm a the the christian message in in many ways is is the opposite of believe in yourself. Yeah. it's believing if you if you are counting on yourself you're counting on the wrong thing you're gonna fall you can't depend on yourself you have to depend on the Lord but at the same time there is um, there's a balance there because there's a nobility to us we we were created in God's image we're the we're the masterpiece of creation and God has plans for us that if we don't have some sort of confidence, mental fortitude, toughness in our mind, and I guess belief in ourselves, so to speak. Yeah. It's really more of a belief in who God made us to be. Yeah. You know, but uh, talk about that balance there and that fine line between the, the self belief that is stubborn and, and arrogant and bad and a self-belief that is actually godly.
1: Yeah. Well, you can't idolize yourself, right, what right. you're saying. So when when you look in the mirror and you're like, I got this, me, me, myself, and I, mm-hmm. right? And And don't get me wrong. I'm not a perfect Christian. There's True. been times that business is going really good, like really, really good, better than I could have ever imagined because God's at the center, and then I forget to pray before I start my jobs. Right. I, I get greedy and I forget to pay those tithes. I'm like, I'll get him next time.
0: Start drinking your own Kool-Aid a yeah, little bit. Exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. You're like, I got this. And then next thing you know, you don't have a job or two. Yeah. yeah. And I used to say, oh, well, I'm doing so bad. But then I just say, okay, this is that season of reminder. Yeah. Hey, I'm. you're where you're at because of me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Like you were praying to me for jobs. You yeah. were praying to me saying, help me. So I think like you said it is a fine line and those reminders are needed but if you always look back right because people are always like i don't know how i can keep going Mm -hmm. and but if you can envision yourself climbing a mountain and you look back at where you've already came through everything above you seems trivial right Mm -hmm. as far as how more how much further you have to climb but that ray of sunshine is still on your back the whole way. Right. Mm. As God. Right. Mm. So, you know, I try to keep that metaphor in my head because I had someone tell me that one time Mm -hmm. I said, no matter how low of a trench you go below, right. Even if you're in the Mariana trench or if you climb to Mount Everest, that stunt, that sun is still above you. Mm. And so, you know, God's always got your back the whole way. Mm. So you're the one walking, but you're not walking alone. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so, I, I think a lot of what it comes down to to this idea of belief in yourself. And they said you trace that further and it's really a belief in who God made you to be. God made you and God um, and God made you for a purpose. And so if you don't believe if you don't believe in yourself to an extent in a healthy way, then you're really saying God messed up. Yeah. And. God, God, you know, it's really a lack of trust in the Lord because the Lord made you and he made you with a purpose. And to not believe that and to, to look at your self-worth as something that's less than is really just not believing what God says yeah. you are and who God made you to be. And so ultimately it does go all the way God. to him. It's not the same kind of self-belief that you hear a lot from the world and everything oh just believe in yourself and you'll do fine not that yeah not at all it's believe that god made you with a purpose yeah and don't give up on that purpose Yeah. you know and and if you're not going to give on that up on that purpose it means you can't give up on yourself
1: yeah so that's really good
0: that's cool man well look thanks for Thanks for being here and sharing your story with us. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. I, you know, I've been wanting to hang out with you and talk to you for a long time. Yeah. and it just, you know, I mean, everybody's busy and we all have our stuff. But you know, I'm looking forward to more times like this, just to talk and yeah, know, we don't not not to record anything, but just to talk. You know. Yeah. And I have a good cigar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got them waiting. Well. Appreciate you, man. Love your family. Excited about y'all being here. So happy that God brought you here and looking forward to, to what comes next. Give us the title of the book again. Uh,
1: Mind Over Matter, Elevate Your Mindset.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Y'all go check it out. I'll, like I said, I'll have the uh, book in the show notes and uh, a link to it. So y'all go and, and support Chris and, and what God's doing in his life. Hey, thanks for joining us for This Is My Story with Steve Hayes. I hope that you enjoyed Chris's story today and got a lot out of it. And uh, we look forward to having you listen next time. Y'all have a great day.